Welcome to The Art of Growth. This is Jim Zartman. And today, Joel Hubbard and I are interviewing our sixth panel in our series on patterns, where we are looking at the very essence of the Enneagram by looking at the core motivation and the patterns of the type. Before we jump in with our panel, you can go to theartofgrowth.org to take a free Enneagram test or instincts test to find out your type. You can sign up for our newsletter there, which has all kinds of good stuff in it and keeps you up to date with what we've got going on. Resources, classes, certification, business training tools, whatever you could need. And if we're missing something, we'll make it because that's how we roll. So check all of that out at theartofgrowth.org or even go there and sign up for a coaching session with one of us on the individual coaching page. And the summer tends to be a little slow. So right now we got a special going and you can get uh, discounted sessions. So go sign up for some. Okay, let us jump in with our type six panel on patterns as we return to the very center of the Enneagram by asking other people what it's like to be them. And remember to each of you, every day you are becoming the expert on you. We are just here to help. Let's jump in. All right. Well, welcome everybody to the Type 6 Patterns Podcast. I am so excited to be here with some sixes uh, and we're going to dive in and explore what we're talking about. What is What are, what are patterns? Uh, so let's start by having each of you introduce yourself and tell us where you are from. Hi, I'm Rebecca. I'm from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm Rachel. I'm from Seattle. I'm Shining. I'm currently in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'm Julie. I'm from Maryland. Okay, well, welcome to each of you. Uh, we have been asked to explain what we mean by patterns. Uh, in other podcasts, we've often talked about the uh, core motivation, the core need, followed by the pattern of the type or the strategy of the type. And we were reached out to by a, a friend of ours who's been following us for a while and said, hey, could you explain that and say a little bit more about what that means by type? And so we thought, well, let's ask you uh, and find out what you mean by that. So the core motivation oftentimes is this sort of one liner that is given for each type. And for sixes, it goes something like the core motivation for the six is to feel safe, secure and supported. And then following that, there's this description of sort of how the type goes about doing that. But what I'd like you to do is for you to describe your motivation using your words, your descriptions, and then we'll get into the pattern and explore that a little bit. So who would like to begin by describing the core motivation in your words? So uh, safety and security doesn't really like when you first think of it, it's uh, like locking the door and stuff like that. Don't don't really think about that. But it's definitely about emotional safety, emotional security, having safe relationships, knowing that they are okay. I'm okay with my people that I care about. Yeah, that. (laughs) So for me, safety and security two of the S's for six are important, but my number one S is support. Like most sixes, I seek support from outside myself. It's not something that I usually can rely on myself for. However, as I've gotten older and more confident, um, I have been able to rely on myself, but I still have moments where something has happened to make me 
feel insecure in my situation. And I basically just grasp out the family members. I mean, I called two of them last night because I didn't know what to do. So that's, that's probably the most important thing. But also safety is very important. I'm always telling people they're not doing things that are safe. I will see your three S's and I'll raise you two R's. So I think for me, I would say <laughs> the words that come to mind are, I want to feel ready and resilient. And Ooh. I really just never want to get caught flat-footed. Yeah. I always want to be a step ahead. I think I feel, I mean, this is something that people say a lot for sixes. I, I do feel the world is a dangerous and unpredictable place. And I think it's just the sense that no matter how well I know a person or an organization or a place that it could always change. So I just want to watch out and stay vigilant and there's no guarantee, you know? So I think I just never, I want to be ready for that. Mm. Love it. Hmm. Yeah. For me, it took a long time for me to identify that I was a six because of the word safety, security, and support and how often they were used. Um, the one I resonate the most with is safety, but I think for me, it almost looks more like integrity or like having wholeness is important to me. And so creating room for myself in safe spaces, whether that's like being alone, I feel the safest because I can be fully myself or certain relationships. There's this part of me that is kind of like challenging to create a safe space for me. And so it's not just like safety as in I want to go wherever it's safe, but I want to create a safe environment. And so there's this like challenging part of me that's like, I'm going to create a safe environment for myself. And I see that for me as like a piece of integrity, being connected to this, wanting to be whole no matter where I am and fighting for that for myself and for other people. So it's all kind of tied together. Well, this is this is why we have to ask you what that's like and how would you describe the core motivation? Because I think for each six, it's going to come across differently. And uh, the, the best that we can do is give a few uh, words and then from there kind of say, what is that really like for you? So thank you so much for, for uh, sharing that. Like, So let's talk about the sort of pattern that emerges. The way we describe the pattern is a kind of strategy. Although I kind of uh, I've been uncomfortable using that term simply because it feels too thoughtful, <laughs> and I don't think our ego does a whole lot of thinking. It's a very reactive structure internally that is there to protect us uh, from further threats and further problems. So I would say that it is a kind of strategy in the sense that what we're doing unconsciously is trying to protect ourselves or trying to get that need met. And so the question is, how does that look for you? How would you describe the pattern of the six? What do you do to feel safe, secure, supported, ready, resilient, uh, whole? I think I got a lot of it there. Uh, what does that feel like? Uh, what do you do? So I like that you said that it's not that you don't like the word strategy because my pattern is not a healthy pattern. There's another six I know who refers to it as, I think she calls it like the downward spiral, like the six spiral or sixing out. <laughs> my head goes in circles. So if I find something that I just am stressed out about, my brain can't get off it and I just think, how can I fix it? Oh, let me go help get somebody to help me. Oh, they're not working fast enough. Oh, how can I fix it? Oh, what can I do? And it's just like a constant circle and it's uh, not healthy. <laughs> you become obsessed on a certain thing. And until it's resolved, at least for me, I can't move on. And you're trying to resolve it 
through your head center. It's just uh, yes, that yes, overthinking is another thing I've been accused of. It's definitely a head center thing. Overthinking, not feeling, not trusting my gut, just thinking and being in my head. Yeah, I relate to that a lot, Julie. I was thinking like in getting ready for this podcast was thinking through like growing up. And when I was younger, the way that I would feel safe would be to go away and be alone and really just sit there and think. And I remember being outside and my brother came up to me and he was like, do you want to play? And I was like, no, I'm thinking. And he was like, okay, but do you want to play soon? And I was like, no, I have to think for a long time before I can play. (laughs) And I think I sat there for probably a couple hours thinking just thinking through everything and trying to prepare. Like if someone says this, this is what I'll say. If someone does this, this is what I'll do. Um, Coming up with every possible outcome, every possible solution. Uh, So I definitely relate to that getting stuck in the overthinking. Yeah. We talk about the six and their anticipation mechanism. And that's really what you, what you were thinking about as you just described it. it sounds very much like the anticipation mechanism at work. Yeah, I, I definitely relate to um, thinking in circles as well. I can I can do that. <laughs> but since I said that what's important to me is uh, emotional security and support, I also wanted to kind of speak to that a little bit and what patterns that led to when I was younger. So I think in my first relationships, like with my family and my best friend, uh, I was very like nice and like drawn back a little bit, like watching and then kind of moving in, but but kind of shy or nice because I'm the youngest and that kind of, you know, fit the family quite well. I always always mediated when there was a conflict because that made danger. So uh, I needed my uh, relationships to be safe. So that's like, you know, I can relate a lot to the nine, but for me it was out of fear of my relationships, I needed them to be secure. Um, But uh, like a little bit later in life, uh, I noticed that just being like kind of drawn back and careful, uh, it didn't give me a lot of attention and I kind of needed that as well. And maybe that's like the sexual (laughs) side of it, but um, I, I wanted like, people to notice me as well and in a school setting it didn't really happen so I kind of instead I changed school and I decided like okay I'm not going to be like shy or drawn back or anything I'm just going to throw myself out there Um, and that was like a different strategy then to to use and I was really like just going for this like funny and bubbly and like I just kind of skipped over that feeling of fear or waiting and it just jumped into this like action and funny and like, okay, how are you? And so these are like two very different patterns. And like my parents, they were really surprised when they saw me with my friends and I was like really outgoing, like and excited. And, uh, but it's really just two different methods of coping with this insecurity that I have inside that I don't really want to show because like, uh, yeah. So a lot of like joking about myself, like that was, that's a big thing because if I joke about myself or something that I did, then no one else can joke about me or attack me. Um, so it's all about, you know, protecting myself really, but it looks very differently. Yeah. It's a, it's again, it's that anticipation. So you anticipate like, what are people going to say or think? And then you beat them to the punch by saying, 
you know, by self-deprecating kind of humor. What I love you also bring up is another feature of the six is your ability to contextualize. So it's like, okay, so that didn't work over here. So I'm going to try something different over here. And that's what a lot of sixes say is that it depends. It, you know, who I am depends a lot on where I'm at and what's in my context, what's in my world, because of that ability, again, to think through strategy, how am I going to show up here in the space? So I appreciate you illustrating that. That's really good. Yeah, I was going to say just in the transition from like the inward to the outward that Rebecca mentioned, I feel like there's a bit of a both like phobic and counterphobic transition, you know, like what you do with the fear and how you either, yeah, how you react to it, I guess. I was hearing other people talk and it's funny. I do think I think a lot, but in my mind, it's, it feels less like I'm in circles and sort of, you know, stuck. I, I had this image of, you, you know, when you play, I don't even play video games. When you play a video game, there's like a mini map in the corner. I feel like I'm always constructing the mini map around me and I'm like, patrolling the horizon and figuring out what threats are looming and, you know, like what's coming at me. And so then I'm like armored up, you know, I have this fortress around me. I am thinking, but it's like, it's because I saw a threat and I'm like deploying my, you know, my thinking onto the problem and like dealing with it. And then I like retract and then I do another. So it feels a little bit more targeted to me. I have this feeling that I'm like really commanding the space. I think maybe Rachel, you said you create safe spaces. I, I do feel like that's what I do. I'm like trying to make sure that all the things within my domain are settled. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm feeling like I, I sound kind of, I'm not, I don't feel so powerful when I'm doing it. You know, it's not like I'm, mm. I don't have like a, a delusion of omnipotence, but I do think that's how I feel I'm engaging with the world through thinking. It is kind of fun. It's not just like I'm cowering, you know? So I think, although I don't think I'm a queen or, you know, I, I do like, there's no like power uh, delusion, but I, I think um, I have a whole arsenal of tactics and like mental contraptions, you know? And I, I feel like that toolkit has been has been sharpened over time. So I have like, you know, like razor sharp logical reasoning and I have frameworks and ways to reframe things. And I, you know, have all these plans I've concocted. And then even, you know, I think Rebecca talked about this. I it's hard for me to say this, but I do think there's some charm that I've developed in order to feel like I can get along in social situations. Mm -hmm. And it's like charm that I put mm -hmm. on, which I feel that's the part that I think I'm not as identified with, or I'd rather not be the case. But I, I recognize that 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 gets like added to my my stance like when I'm in especially social situations I'm not super comfortable with. Yeah. What you said resonates so much with me. So the the I just remembered what my friend calls it the six spin, but that only happens when I'm stressed out. Um otherwise a lot of my life is about planning and prepping. Um, I am personally, my primary instinct is self-preservation. So for me, physical comfort and making sure my surroundings work for me is very important. So if I'm invited to a party, for example, or somebody's house, I want to know what that's going to look like before I get there. I want to know who's going to be there, what they're going to have to eat or drink, whether it's going to be socially appropriate for me to leave early if I'm just not feeling socially comfortable there. <laughs> I mainly use my five wings. So I'm very introverted. And for me to come out of my shell and talk to people is a big ask. So I just need to make sure I have all my ducks in a row before I go there. And then what you said about what Shining said about, you know, putting on a mask, I call it putting on a facade. When I meet new people, I don't let the real me come out. I wait and see what they are as a person, how they are. And then 
you know, react accordingly. And if they're not my type of people, you're not going to get the real me. You're going to get somebody I think they want to interact with. So I, there's a lot of people pleasing Hmm. in me too. Yeah. That brings something up for me, Julie, around, I go about that in kind of a different way. The, is this person someone I can be the real me with? Mm -hmm. And I think I lead with myself in order to right away know so that I don't have to waste my time. Like I'm going to test them right off the bat. If they fail, then bye. Like I'm done here. Which goes along with kind of what I was talking about earlier of like wanting to create safe spaces in my relationships means like I'm not afraid of having conflict because if the conflict needs to happen for me to feel safer, then I'll have the conflict so that I can now feel like, okay, that's resolved. I feel safe in this relationship. This feels good and reliable. So that's the part of me that kind of looks a little bit more like challenging or not like a six in the way that sixes are described, uh, a bit more counterphobic. Yeah. I mean, it's so uncomfortable to feel the potential that someone's going to portray. So I, I agree. I, since I pick the fights, I'm like, well, better get it over with or like better know what you know, what the truth is, quote unquote, like I have this idea that I'll just get closer to the truth if I catalyze it, you know? Yeah, that's why I used the word integrity earlier, meaning like honesty and truth, I feel is really important to a lot of sixes I know. And to me, like that's more important than almost anything else is like, I just want to know the truth. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely important for me. Like I said, I'll put on a facade if, if I don't feel like I can um, interact with my real self. But then that's also the kind of person that I will probably avoid hanging out with because I don't like the way I feel. Um, and, and the facade is a way to protect yourself. Yeah. There's so much richness to everything that's being said here. <laughs> it's like I, I'm being tantalized and want to pull in all the different directions. But there's something I think that might be helpful to a lot of our listeners because a lot of panelists say from different types say truth is important to me. Right. And somehow when all these types are together, they're not quite getting to that point of truth. There's a sense at which like, I'm not sure, you know, that I feel safe because I'm not sure you're telling me the truth. So, so I'm, I, I have some suspicions and some theories, and so does Jim around, like, how does that look by type? And so, but I'm curious from from your standpoint, because you're the expert on the six, it's like, tell me what you're looking for when you say, I'm looking for truth in the relationships. Because nearly every six I know says that that's, that's the case. They want to know, and they don't want to be surprised later on finding something out about, you know, something that they should have known ahead of time. So. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to hear what that looks like for you. I think I'm looking for people to be consistent and dependable. I want people to say exactly what they mean and exactly do what they say they're going to do. And if people are like sugarcoating something or avoiding a difficult a difficulty or otherwise like doing anything besides just being as accurate as possible, I'm like, that means you're not trustworthy. So yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Mm -hmm. I just want to be able to like, know, I guess, to project what people are going to do. Is it in any specific areas of life or is it, is that across the board or is there certain uh, ways that the, you pay more attention to that? I think it's across the board. I will say the people that I am most dependent on, like my partner, you know, my family, I care more because I find my fate is tied up with theirs. For anyone off the street, I might just be like, yeah, that person's like, they're just doing their thing. I see that they're trying to, you know, posture or they, there are three and they want, you know, admiration. That's fine. Like I can get it. And if it's far away from me, then I'm like, I get it. And it's fine. It's not threatening. But if it's like my partner and he's telling me he's going to do something and he doesn't do it over and over again, like Mm -hmm. that's real, it's a real like tender spot for me, you know? 
Yeah, for me, it's really important to have integrity in relation, well, with people I have relationships with. The six is often called the loyal skeptic. And that rings very true for me because I don't let the real me get seen until I know somebody and I feel like I can trust them. But once I trust them, I'm all in. I'm completely loyal and I'm trusting everything. And so if somebody turns out to be someone that they're not or say they'll do something and they don't, I feel very betrayed because they've broken my trust. I've Stop talking to friends because of that. You know, there are people who, once they break your trust, it's a way of protecting yourself again. You feel like you can't trust them again, or they might do something bad to you, or, you know, disappointing, or not. It's more than disappointing, though. It's like you put so much into them mentally and emotionally, and they betrayed that. And that to me is, is one of the worst things you can do to somebody. Yeah, I feel like it all goes back to building safety. Uh, the need for honesty, to build trust. And this part of me that feels like no need for kind of like the fluffy, feel good, let me be really gentle and kind and soothing in the way that I talk to you, because I'm like, let's get to the point. Like, I want to know what you actually think. Don't sugarcoat it. Because then I don't feel fully safe with you. Uh It actually is harder for me if people are like trying to do that. So there's just like this directness that I appreciate and that builds safety and trust. And for me, it is most important with the people I'm closest with. With other people, it doesn't matter as much because they are not as impactful to me. Mm. Well, both of these answers sound like this is how to be loyal. I identify as being loyal as well. Like I, I do feel like I'm loyal, but I also like Julie have been like, you betrayed my trust. Goodbye. You know, and I know that's not a very loyal thing to do. So it is like a little bit of a, I find that to be interesting that although I think I'm the loyalist of friends, I'm actually, I hit my threshold so quickly. So, well, the way you just described it though, it was sounded like you're very loyal unless someone betrays loyalty. Cause like you betrayed me. Yeah. That's true. But I, yeah, I think I'm what I'm working on within myself is, you know, grace or understanding or mm. patience, like things like that, that I, I think are, are virtues that um, don't come as naturally to me. I'm trying to exercise more patience and forgiveness towards people. I'm not as bad as my grandmothers were both people who would cut other people off if they betrayed them. Um, I'm, I don't cut people off. I guess when I said I lost friends, it was more like, I just stopped reaching out to those people and decided they're not part of my life anymore. And therefore it just sort of fizzled, but I, it's really hard for me to have patience and forgiveness with people. And I don't know if that's a sixth trait. It seems to me that as, as many of you, maybe all of, you know, um, said it numerous times on podcasts, but I'm married to a six. And so the fear being abandoned or rejected is really, really primitive. It's, it's deep within the system as early as they can remember. And so if something happens, it sets that off and there's like a, ooh, like that, that's the, that's the big one to, to do what you just did, um, feels like a, like a rejection or an abandonment. And it, there's a looking for that oftentimes with sixes, like a looking for, are you telling me the truth? You know, and so I'll give an answer and my wife will say, well, but why did you do that in this? And she's, trying to piece the puzzle together <laughs> and my response tends to be <laughs> so i need some help here but my response tends to be like are you calling me a liar <laughs> i just told you the truth <laughs> but but it's like yeah but you said this before and you did that yeah because i forgot you know it is as simple as that but but for the for the six it's like how could you 
And there's a looking for that now, for all types. There's a looking for something. We're all doing something to protect ourselves. But so I'm just curious as to, is that, is that part of it? Is this like, I'm, I'm afraid of this abandonment, this rejection. So I'm wanting to test to make sure that uh, you're telling me the truth um, as yeah. part of why, I mean, it's not the whole thing, but just, uh, as I have to, I have to respond because I have the opposite marriage of Joel. I'm not married to a seven, but I'm married to an eight. He doesn't like when I test him because everything he says, uh, speaking of, you know, wanting the truth from people, he says what's on his mind. If he said it, he meant it, but sometimes he doesn't do things as quickly as I want him to. And, he thinks I'm nagging him, but really I'm just spiraling and obsessing. Um, but a lot of times I'll test him and I'll be like, are you sure you're making the right decision? Have you considered X and Y? Because I always want to make sure everybody's looking at every side. But from his perspective, he's already done all that. And he's made a very quick gut decision. But I didn't see that process happen. Um, that does not go to your rejection thing. Yes, rejection is a huge um, part of my sixth behavior now, but um, fear of rejection. But I just wanted to speak to the fact that I need to see the internal workings of your mind and the process you went through. It's not enough for you to just tell me. That's huge insight. Yes, but would his process convince you because his process looks nothing like yours? If he explained to me his process and I and it sounded reasonable and logical, then yeah. But if if I don't get by to see what the process standard at all. and and what is the <laughs> my standard? <laughs> Got it. Okay, just just so we're being clear. The that. Obvious. I mean, so <laughs> of course it's by the sixth standard. Yeah, no, this is uh, this is really brilliant though. The inner workings, because I think that is oftentimes what settles my wife is like, okay, now I understand the process of your thinking. Like you did actually put thought behind this. And we've said that there's a certain sort of a trust metrics for each of the, of the centers and for head types, it tends to be around like, did you really think that one through? And, and, uh, and if you didn't think it through, that does not feel very good to me. I'm not sure I can follow. So there's, there's a little bit more of the questioning. Around Everyone that. who's dating or married to a six should understand that. It, it would make it so they would, every time this, your six asks you, you know, did you consider X? At least you know where they're coming from. I wish my eight understood that about me. So um, it's good that you understand <laughs> that about your wife. Okay, so let's go to that uh, early childhood stories. What are some early maybe stories that uh, help you to see, oh yeah, that's whether it was the formation of it or just one of the stories that illustrate that sort of pattern, the early childhood pattern of the six. Um, so yeah, love to hear from each of you. I was just in general, as, as long as I can remember, I felt rejected. I think it's true of sixes that we generally feel like we don't fit in and maybe it's the lack of, you know, confidence. Um, so a lot of my perceived rejection could, could have just been in my head, but I was very, very shy as a kid. And really what shyness is, is a fear of speaking for fear of being rejected. At least that's what it was for me. And one of the things that resulted from that is my planning. The fact that I need to always have all my ducks in a row before I go into a situation so that I'm not rejected. I'm not left out. I'm not missing something. To this day, if I feel like a good friend has kept me out of the loop or I, or even if it's somebody I don't know well, if I, if I meet someone and I just feel like I can't get in with them and I don't know how to explain getting in other than like, I want them to know that I'm somebody they can count on. I want to be part of their social circle. If I feel like I can't get in with that person as someone I want to get in with, I automatically feel rejected and I'm trying to, trying to get through that. But that's an age old story that's 
you know, I've been just telling myself as long as I can remember. Mm. I know on a previous podcast episode, there was some discussion about nature and nurture and, you know, like, was an experience or are you kind of born? I will say for me, like, certainly as a small child, I was very knowledge, knowledge seeking, but um, I was born in China and I came to the U.S. at the age of four. And um, I think that really locked my sickness in because, you know, like, talk about the ground shifting beneath your feet and like everything changing and having to reorient literally to a whole new world. And I think during that time, my parents were also in survival mode. So they weren't really, you know, present or attuned in the ways that maybe I would have needed from them. Um, so I just remember yeah, getting to the U S not knowing English and I just watched everything so carefully. And I was picking up things like, what do people wear? Like, what do they eat? How do they behave? You know, like what keeps people socially uh, glued together? Like who has power? And I, I was just needing to learn all that on the fly. And I think that really, you know, I, I actually think when I say the world is unpredictable, I don't know that that's not true for, for like the small child me, that that, that was really the case. Um, and I'll illustrate this with one family story that I think is, is really funny, but really telling. So when I was five or six, I went to a museum with a family friend and her daughter. You know, kids at museums are like running around and we went to the gift shop. And my friend um, was like, I want this keychain. I want this t-shirt. You know, she was just like picking stuff up and asking her mom to buy it. And her mom says, I went up to her and I was like, I am buying this one keychain. It is $2.99. With tax, it's it's $3.14. And I have this much money and I will get this much change back. And she was like, what is wrong with this kid? Like, why does this this kid know about taxes and cash and change? But I had learned the entire system. I knew exactly what to expect. You know, I was crystal clear on how to like make it in this museum shop. So I just think that that kind of attention to the system and how it works uh, was just really, uh, it was a way for me to, to, mm, to make that early immigration mm, experience work out. I relate a lot to what Shining you're saying. Growing up, I had a lot of anxiety. I grew up in a very conservative religious environment and there was just a lot of right and wrong, good and bad. And so a lot of judgment, which for me created a lot of anxiety. And sort of my way of coping with that was just to try and disappear and not participate in things. Like I remember if I was somewhere and there were kids playing, I would just sit and watch and try and watch like, okay, how are they playing? What are they doing? What are the rules? And then maybe I would jump in after quite a while, or most likely I would just not jump in and would just watch. And that was my way of creating safety. I did that everywhere. Like anywhere I went, I always knew like, here's where the bathroom is. Here's where the drinking fountain is. Here's where everything is. Because I was so hyper vigilant about everything and afraid of being caught, like not knowing something and then being judged or laughed at. Mm. Rachel, I think you just described my childhood. Um, Mm. I remember very clearly in middle school, I basically spent every recess sitting by myself, watching everybody else, trying to understand the social rule. Like I just, I never felt like I fit in socially. So I'd watch other people for how to act socially, how to fit in with that group. I targeted the group I wanted to fit in with. And I just watched until I felt confident that I could enter the situation. It's amazing to hear somebody else say that. Yeah, I definitely did that too. Like, and I really relate to not the thing of not really speaking out at first, fear of being rejected or fear of being attacked, and uh, just kind of waiting to see what everyone else is saying to see when it's like safe to jump in, 
or if I see that they're going in the wrong direction, I would say, no, no, hey, <laughs> this is how it is. <laughs> or, you know, when I kind of observed everyone to see, okay, this is, this is how you do to like get popular or whatever. And then just kind of jumping into it, yeah. just jumping over that step of thinking. Yeah. Sixes need a set of, at least for me, I need a set of rules to know how to play the game. And mm. yeah. So looking at what you just said about looking, how, how did people get popular? I went through that thought process constantly. Why are these people in this social group? And why are these people in this social group? And what rules do I need to follow to get in this social group? And like most people listening to this are probably like, especially a seven who's super social. I know I have a seven who, friend who's super social. They're probably like, what the heck is wrong with you? You just you just go like, but we have to think about these things. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, sevens w- won't think of the rules necessarily, but there's other questions that we're, we're processing. So we're all doing something. Uh, I love this so far. It's really insightful um, to understand what's going on in the mind of the six and early on how that shows up. And what I want to say is that there's even more variety than what's present here. So for all those who are, are sixes out there or, or know a six, there are some because of their high extroversion. And because of their perhaps great sense of humor, figure out that they can use their the humor as a means to getting around. So I've known some sixes like that. Very funny sixes, very quick-witted. And so because of that, they figure, well, I can get in at least. And while I'm spinning humor, I'm watching and I'm learning, right? So again, this is what we're trying to get underneath is don't don't get locked up for folks who are listening. Don't get locked up in those sort of particulars like well i don't do that or that person doesn't do that of course not we are all doing different things driven by this larger sort of strategy pattern of the six to feel safe in these different uh environments so really appreciate it all right so let's round off by finishing with when did you realize that your pattern your strategy uh, wasn't working as well as it did. And let me set it up by saying that the pattern does work to some degree. I, I love how, I forget which one of you said, it might have been you shining, like it's not that it's just all bad. It's like this part of it is this is a, a little bit, so I'm paraphrasing, um, and I've been saying this too about sixes, like that's a differentiation between those who have anxiety and a six, is that a six actually finds joy <laughs> in solving complex problems it's like there's a there's a sort of euphoria even around solving it as i love it when my wife comes home and she's like so i ran into this problem and then she lists all the problems first like of all the things that could have gone wrong and how she managed to navigate that system and succeed so it's like well there it is there's a great joy in solving a complex problem very head-centered um kind of kind of experience So there are some really tremendous high sides to all of these um, strategies, all of these patterns, but then there's also the low side. And so that's what I'm speaking of when I say, when did the pattern stop working is more of the protective kind of the world is out to get me or whatever is functioning underneath the fear of rejection, that kind of thing. When did that stop working for each of you? And what are some things you have learned to do to begin to grow? The self-deprecating humor and like jumping into everything, like being, it, it definitely works for being like likable or having more friends. And that's really nice, but it doesn't really help in, um, you know, work situations when you really want to advance and stuff. Because if you put yourself down, 
other people are not going to like pull you up. Like they'll say like, oh no, you're good or whatever, but they're not going to, you know, like make you a proposal. They're like, you know, like, okay, you can advance to this position because you kind of, you know, put yourself down all the time. So I found myself in a pattern where I used to get really bored and frustrated that I didn't get anywhere. And I was really frustrated that like people didn't see me or see my potential, but actually (laughs) I was like holding myself back. Mm. Um, And I, so I got bored and I got frustrated and I quit my job and I'd start a new one and like, okay, in this one, I'll go for this. And so I do that for a bit. And then, you know, I I could just jump into challenges and stuff like that, but I wouldn't really, I'd still use those same defense mechanisms uh, of the humor and kind of putting myself down and just being kind of funny and likable and like good at what I did, but not like pushing myself forward other than kind of jumping to a different uh, job. Uh, what I've been working with is actually being honest with what I want and honest with my ambition and staying where I'm at and trying to get it from there. And that's really, that can be really scary yeah. <laughs> because saying what I want and like being really honest with that, uh, it means that I can fail. And that would be just my fault because I said I can do this. Maybe I can't. It's so much easier when someone else proposed like, okay, maybe you can do this. And I go, yeah, sure. I can try. But you know, when I said, no, I want the chance to do this. That's really scary. So that's what I've been doing now. And it's working quite well, yeah. uh, but it's, it's still scary. Yeah. Boy, you just gave a lot of sixes out there and those who are in relationship with sixes fantastic advice around uh, <laughs> the job stuff. I've coached a few sixes around this very thing <laughs> where it's like not enough of the, the, the three inside them, right? So we talk about resource points. The six yeah. goes drawing up the three to say, hey, I matter. I'm going to advocate for myself. I'm going to help myself be seen, right? And, and uh, putting yourself out there. So yeah, well done. It takes a lot because sixes don't want to put their, yeah. you know, sixes yeah. are the ones that's like, the moment you put your head above everybody else, you're a target. Like, let's just, let's just kind of go along and let's just make sure we're all crossing the finish line together. All right. So, yeah. 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 My journey was not as purposeful as Rebecca's. There wasn't a time where I realized that my, my behavior was no longer serving me. It was more gradual and it was both in the realm of work and, and socially. So Work-wise, um, I work for myself. I'm a lawyer and I had spent until a few years ago, most of my career doubting myself, um, being afraid of the hard assignment, wanting the easy assignment that I know I can do. Somehow a few years ago, gradually, I realized I can do it and I actually enjoy the harder assignments, the ones where I really have to problem solve, not where I know what I'm doing because I've done it a hundred times. I actually now like the new experiences. I can't necessarily point to one thing that changed that, except I am married to an eight who always said, what are you, an idiot? Of course you can do it. So, you know, tough love is what eights do. (laughs) Um, But basically he was, he was my number one cheerleader. And then socially, yeah, same thing. I just decided I don't care what other people think. I'm just going to be myself. And it's allowed me to talk to people I would have never talked to before because I would have assumed they would reject me and not want me, you know, and not want to socialize with little old me. And now I realize a lot of people actually are open to talking to me, like pretty much everybody. <laughs> like, so all this self 
this fear of rejection. Maybe it was for nothing. I wish I had discovered this sooner, but I don't know if it's just maturity or what, but um, just a few years ago, I would say like since the pandemic, something's happened, something's shifted and I'm really grateful for it. Mm, wonderful. Um, I think I, I would say it's interesting. I don't think I, I lack for like moving and shaking. I think I tend to like <laughs> throw a wrench in things quite often. I think this is like the counterphobia thing. Um, so I think for me, what I realized is in all the like mm, preparation and endless worrying and just, you know, prepping uh, for bad things that crowds out a lot of other experiences and textures of life that crowds out mm. some of the more, you know, soft and poignant and tender things. And it can really feel like, especially when I'm stressed, like the world is a claustrophobic place, you know, and it's not abundant and it's not expansive. And I don't really enjoy mm. things. Like I was the kind of student where if I got a good grade in an assignment, I would feel more stressed out because I'd be like, oh, I have to keep this up. I have to keep doing well, you know? So like good things were bad things, bad things were bad things. Everything just kind of fed into, yeah, like the feeling of, of like sort of not having enough. And I think also with the relationships piece, I think always feeling primed at like to be at the edge of a rupture or a betrayal um, really like puts a strain on relationships. And I'm like shadow boxing with the worst versions of other people and, mm. and not really, you know, like not really um, giving them the credit they deserve. Like it's, I have a friend who's a six and it's kind of annoying. You're like, wow, like you're always testing me. Like, do I ever make, like, do I ever mm. save up a bank of trust or, you know, like, are you just an Etch-a-Sketch and you just like mm. erase away all the good things? So anyway, all that I think is what I've been working on. And I think just realizing that what I've done a lot is create this like really rigid external shell. And that's been the way to stay safe. But that shell is not, it's not letting other things through, you know, it's like really just like a sterile, mm. like a sterile exterior. And so I think, yeah, I think I'm working on patience, being okay with things, almost like realizing that if I let myself, like, let me, let's let the scary thing in, like what happens, you know, like, am I still, like, can I, can I rise to that occasion? Mm. Do I have enough internal resources, you know, um, and making like the inside feel safe and not necessarily creating like the big outside safeness. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. This question feels so complex, <laughs> like maybe the most complex one for me to answer because it feels like it's come in stages of having, first of all, as a six, I think I've tried a lot of different methods or there's a lot of different patterns for me of building safety. And so each one sort of has had a sort of falling apart awareness. I need to do something different, so to speak. Uh, and I think it started for me in going to college and getting out of the environment I was in and having new people, new space, and to kind of create something for myself that felt safer. And safety is dependent on like the people you're with and their capacity to really engage with you and care for you. And so that was a piece of it, realizing like, oh, there are safer people I can be around. This is what relationships can look like, um, was a big piece for me of realizing like, oh, I don't trust people but I really want connection. I need to put myself out there more. Mm. And then in sort of challenging myself, building more safety and um, more connection with people. And a big piece of it for me was also like a way of creating safety was to just like do everything, like to get straight A's, to have a lot of jobs, to be working constantly. And I burnt out pretty quickly. And I realized like, okay, that's not going to work for me. I need to find some balance. 
and I need to find more of like what I actually need and then create that in my life, which means that I have to self-activate. And part of me hates that because again, it's this opportunity for rejection. And a big piece for me has been working with that, um, learning to separate the rejection from my identity, like letting myself feel the pain of rejection because it's painful to be rejected, but to not take that on as like, oh, I'm not worth loving or I'm not worth et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I think that took like a lot of, a lot for me to get there, a lot of like relationships falling apart and painful experiences, but that's a big piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you named something really important, you know, the separation from the feeling, the emotion of rejection, the sense of aloneness, the sense of being uh, abandoned in your fear mm. from everything else that you interpret that to be. And I think that that's growth when we can do that. When we can start to separate out like, yeah, as a six, I will always have a certain measure of vigilance, a certain measure of concern and uh, fear and whatever else we might name it, that, that existential feeling internally. And yet, what do I do with it? How do I think about that? And, you know, what stories do I develop from that? And being able to separate those two out so you can go, oh, that's the story I'm telling myself. But is that really what's happening here? And then taking that risk, because there's only so much you can do in the thought realm. And then you have to just say, okay, I'm going to put myself out there and see what happens and uh, take, you know, small dosages of that and, you know, get your system used to it. And then you keep building on that. And as you do that, then, you know, like you said, Julie, over the course of time, all of a sudden you find yourself saying, wow, look at this. I can do this. You know, I couldn't do that before. Um, So I want to thank each of you so much for opening up your heart, opening up your mind to us. So thank you so very much to each of you. Thank you so much for listening and learning with us in this ongoing evolution where we learn from each other. You can follow us on Instagram at Art of Growth and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss any of the good stuff coming up. Feel free to email us and we will try and get back to you in a timely manner. But for now, my friends, may you lean into yourself and those around you as a source of safety, security, and support, as a source of faith, meaning moving forward even when you do not know the outcome for sure and use your gift to see multiple outcomes to anticipate and strategize, but then move forward with what your heart and your body knows is the right next step, even if you do not know the ultimate result. All right, my friends, thank you again. Grace and growth.